your Bible today, if you go with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not a bullfrog, and he didn't drink wine. Jeremiah was a man of God. And the 17th chapter, verse 7 and verse 8 is where I'd kind of like to start today, and then we will probably conclude somewhere in Philippians. I am not going to keep you long today. Pastor Rhonda has created one of her incredible meals, and I purposely did not eat breakfast so that I would be hungry. So knowing that I'm hungry and you're hungry, I won't hold you long unless you get quiet on me. And then, I'll, and then I am a Jeremiah 17. Thank you, Pastor Rhonda. Verse 7. If you're reading from the Amplified Version, you'll know what the word bless means. It's an incredible, phenomenal, sensational word that God has given us and God has blessed us. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. What an incredible promise, an incredible thought there, that there is a blessing to us that are attached to trusting and believing and having confidence in the things of God, especially in this generation where things are so iffy and things are so scary. does not seem to be a lot of stability in government. There doesn't seem to be a lot of stability in law enforcement. Just things, this is a crazy, crazy time, a crazy generation, but through it all, God's word remains faithful and true and holy, and we thank God for the ability to put our trust in him, to cast all our care upon him. There are two things that I want to bring to your attention in this reference that this this is a tree that has endured heat. This is a tree that has endured drought. This is a tree that in the middle of circumstances and calamity manages to keep its leaf green and manages to produce its fruit. In Psalms 3 and 1, the word says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Somebody say amen. And in his law doth he meditate both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters. He will, his leaf will not wither. He will bring forth fruit. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Here we find another planting, another tree that's planted by the things of God and the river of God. When I look at this passage of Scripture, I see that there are some things that are happening in in our lives if we are not careful. We are taught to run the race with patience. But here in this passage of Scripture, David kind of shows a a demotion or a degradation where we find he's saying, Blessed is man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. When you stop running this race, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself walking with someone that's ungodly. If you walk with that person long enough, you're eventually going to sit down with someone that's not walking and working the things of God. If you sit there, if you stand there, if you stand there long enough, you're going to find yourself seated. And so God wants us to run the race, but we're walking, we're standing, we're seated. And when I thought about this passage of Scripture, I thought about the peer pressure that you and I survive and are part of every single day. My thought this morning for podcast is simply orchid or oak. 
orchid, or oak. I was I was in the store a couple of days ago buying some gas and uh, don't really remember what the tr- what the conversation was, but the guy there was talking to see he, he and his friend went out and got in trouble and he got arrested and his best friend didn't. And I I just couldn't help but to say something. I said, you know, you are you are who you hang around and you are what what you eat and and if you hang around people like that. And so I preached a little sermon at right there with the clerk and this guy. They're actually listening. I was impressed. I said, they are actually, and I was all dressed in camouflage, and I've been out turkey hunting or doing something, and it was just a joy to be able in that moment to share a truth with someone that needs to hear it. Most of you here this morning, you know you know my te- testimony. You know where I've come from. You know where, where I'm at. You know where I've been. Some of you know where I'm going. When I think about my life, I think about beginning as a very young age of some of the, some of the peers that were in my life and some of the peers that I did things with. One of my first peer pressure moments was at the age of 13 or 14 when the Church of God every year has a state conference for all the pastors to come for five days. And so all the pastors go stay in motels there in Bakersfield and uh, we go out and eat, have a lot of fun. But at that particular camp meeting, I had a friend by the name of Randy Hale and he was a pastor's son. And Randy and I, somewhere on the facilities, I don't remember where, we found a cigar. Now, it was popular in, in restaurants of that day to give away books of matches. Anybody remember the days when you could actually go into the restaurant and get a book? How many of you don't know what matches are? You've never used matches. You're not sure what matches are. Well, somehow, we found a book of matches, and Randy took that cigar and lit that cigar and then he handed it to me, and I didn't know what to do with the cigar. I just kind of held it in my hands. Well, anyway, later that evening, Randy got under conviction and told his parents what he had done. Well, his parents proceeded to tell my parents, and the grace and mercy that Randy's parents bestowed him, I did not benefit that grace and mercy. I got my tail in, wore out, and you know what's so crazy? I don't think I ever smoked another cigar. David, I remember in seventh or eighth grade, I remember that in between classes, it was popular to go to the guy's bathroom, and there would be a cigarette, and they'd they'd pass it around like a joint. And I remember I got right there in the middle because I thought it was cool. Then I had a kid look at me and say, hey, you're not inhaling. I said, inhaling, what's that? So we left that bathroom, went out on a softball field. There was a row of of, of, uh, landscape trees there, and in that landscape tree, he showed me how to inhale. I think it was a cool menthol. And that started an addiction that, that I struggled with for several, several years. I remember uh, at the age of 18, I felt like that I got manipulated out of my virginity. I remember the age of 19, a kid that I went to school with came and went to a great deal of trouble to teach me how to, to smoke a joint. Then I remember it was my cousins, my precious cousins on a Christmas day in a van. They, they laid out a line of Coke and they showed me how to do the Coke. And then I remember later it was an employee that worked for me. They showed me how to cook, shoot Coke between my toes. I didn't want anybody to know that I was using. And I got to thinking, you know what? A lot of bad things in my life was because I was hanging around with the wrong crowd. I remember I was in Jessup, Georgia, and I preached a message, Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell. There was a kid I was trying to minister to during that revival. And he left the church, and he got with some other kids, and they went driving around, and went, they robbed a liquor store. They stole some batteries. And because he was 18, he was sentenced as an adult. The other kids were younger, so they got off as juvenile. And he's the one that had to pay that price. You need to be careful who you're hanging with. You need to be careful who you're investing your life in, what, what, you're, what you're doing with your life. And, and 
obviously David said, if you can get away from the bad influences and focus on the good influences, there's a blessing in your life. I remember there was a season, and there's something that I don't like to talk about, and this is one of the things I really don't like to talk about, but there was a season in my life where I was selling drugs not to resell them, but to use them. I don't know how many can relate to that. You sell just enough to buy your stash. And I remember there were two, they were actually married in the family, so they're actually cousins. And we were always doing stuff together. We had just done a chunk of hash, sold it, broke it up, and sold it. And the very next week, we had a marijuana deal going down. We all carried Smith & Wesson 9mm plated. That was just the way that we rolled. I slept with the lights on, terrified because I was so coked out. But when I gave my heart to God that Sunday night, that next day, I called my friends. And I said, hey, I said, I'm not putting you down. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fussing with you. But I'm just telling you, I want to stay clean. And to stay clean, I can't come over anymore. I can't hang out with you anymore. I'm not putting you down, but I don't expect, don't expect me to, to be around anymore. I like that song that says, don't expect me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. Can anybody relate to a better way? I begin to surround people. Get, go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. I begin to surround myself with people that actually prayed. They really did pray. I begin to surround myself with people that actually did missions. I got involved in the church. I was the assistant, fifth grade Sunday school teachers. I was his assistant. He did the teaching, and I just I was just in there just hanging out, and I began to, the, I, the Lord opened the door for me to play the organ for that particular church. Several things began to happen in transition. Most of you know I got called into the ministry through all of that. I, I don't like to share a lot of my testimony because I'm not that person anymore. That person's dead. That person died a long time. Time ago, the song says, in my heart, there's been a mercy killing. The old man has been crucified. The new man has been resurrected with baptism. And I praise God for that. All week, well, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and this morning, all week I have pondered, and I talked a little bit, Pastor Rhonda, I pondered Nicole's testimony. Nicole, your testimony motivated and, and, and produced this message. But Nicole made the statement that, she wanted, to, she wanted to pursue the Lord the same way she pursued drugs. And I remember in that window that was a bad window, every waking moment, my mind was clicking, my mind was manipulating, my mind was wondering, what can I pawn? What can I steal? What can I, how, how am I going to get coke today? How am I going to get high today? I mean, just, just over and over again. But when God touched my life on that Sunday night, it was a complete flip. And all of a sudden, there were seasons we would actually go to the church and pray all night long. And some of you have heard those stories. And I, and I began to hang around preachers. I began to hang around people that were positive. And I learned the more I hung out with them, the better person that I was. And so when we look, when we look in that, and, and, and um, Nicole, I went to the Word of God and found in 1 Corinthians, I believe the guys are helping us with, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11 and 15, the only time, the only time the word addicted is found in the Bible one time. And Paul comments on Priscilla and Aquina that they were, are you ready for this? Addicted to the gospel. I don't know if that translation shows the word addicted. When the King James, they were addicted to the gospel. And I thought about that, being addicted to spreading the good news, being a light in a dark place, being a salt to make other people thirsty. Letting your light shine because we are that city set on a hill. We're not a light that has a bushel over it, but we're a light that God honors and God blesses. 
And God strategically will bring people into our life that we can share and God can use us to bless them. When Nicole shared her testimony Wednesday, she talked about the Esther Project. And the Esther Project is hours and hours and hours and hours of sacrifice and investment and money and involvement. And then everybody forgets when all the Esther Project's done, somebody's going to put all the stuff up, put all the props back up. That's usually me. I took the tent thing down and got Angel to help me. But when you think about all that you do to be involved in something and then you learn that, that involvement actually changed someone's life. That then it's like, then it's like, well, let's do a Deborah project. Let's do a Mary project. Let's see. Let's see. Can anybody relate? Let's see what we can do. Thank you, Pastor Roger, for that for that courtesy laugh. There are some. There are some. There are some points um, I would like to to make, and I, I like to focus on on the just a thought or just the idea. What are you addicted to? Five, five truths. Are you ready? Life is complex, but you don't have to be complicated. Life is complex, but you don't have to be complicated. Does anybody know anybody that's compl- complicated? You probably won't lift your hand because they might be sitting right next to you there, and you don't want them to know that you think. But there are some people that they're just wired weird. I think men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And I know that the guy is like the dog and the, and the woman is like the cat. And we're so, there, there we go, we're so different. And you know what? I wouldn't own something that wouldn't come to me when I called it. That's why I went into casting the Davis household. They won't come. They won't do a trick. They won't sit on your lap. They won't, they won't bark. A cat is much worthless. It just sits around and does whatever it wants to do and goof, goof around. And I think about, when I think about life, there's some people in my life that are so complicated, they scare me. They scare me. And you got to, you got to, you know, we put on different faces for different people. But there's some people, when we see them coming, if we can get away, we're going we're gonna to hide. If we can put a hat down in Walmart and buy the hat on the way out and them not recognize it, it was worth $11 you paid for the hat. I know you guys don't have those kind of people in your life that when, you're, when, you're, when your number shows up on caller ID or when their number shows up on caller ID, you go, oh, my God, not today, not this early. This can't be. I cannot relate to this. I've told them everything I've talked to them. I'm blue in the face. Life is complex. This is a complexive life. If that's a word, complexive. If it's not, just go deal with it. But there are things, there are there are things in your life that make you complicated. We used to do a skit. I wish we would do it again. It was called the plate spinner skit. How many have seen it? The plate spinner, where so many things in your life that you're involved in. And I and I looked at me personally being being complex, not complicated, I hope, but complex. And I think I think that there's six things that I've realized. Number one, I am a guy. I am a guy, and a guy does guy things. A guy has to have an adventure. There has to be a damn. You ever notice when a girl runs, uh, runs out of gas or has a flat tire on the freeway, four trucks show up behind her with all the tools to change the, and, and that, that, that's, but, but a guy does stuff like that. When I, when I think of a guy, I think of the hunting. I think of the fishing. I think uh, I got the more stuck only one time in the lake yesterday. I think about a guy going out and mowing and a guy doing a guy thing. And, and that's, that's just the way that we have rolled. There has, there has to be an adventure. And if, and if you don't make serving God an adventure and you don't make serving God a lifestyle, you'll be bored and you'll be frustrated and then you will be complicated. I think of the second thing that I am a husband. 
And I think about that laying down my life and, and living for my wife and helping her and dying to the self and trying to bless her. And in, in, in the first couple of days of marriage, that I did all that. I did all that stuff. But now it's like it's transition. I am a husband. What is required of me by my wife? And I've, I've learned a long time ago my wife is quite a bit smarter than I am. She has a lot more connections than I have. And when she talks to me, she really doesn't want an answer to her question. She doesn't want a solution to her problem. She just wants to vent. And the older we get, the more we vent about the same thing two or three days in a row. And I, I, was, I always laugh thinking you know, our parents will tell you the same thing they told you the day before. That's the way that we get. We've already, it's like, have you heard this story? Have you heard this joke? Have you, have you? And that's the way you're constantly, but you want that husband in your life simply to be a good listener. And then I think about being a father. I think, I think about the first baby that we had. We were freaked out. I mean, she got a little green snot. We took her to the emergency room. She, anything would happen, we would take it to the emergency room. Christine is like she fell off the counter. Is there any blood? No, she's fine. Don't worry about it. But being, being, a, being a father really changed your life. And I've noticed that there are four or five dear friends of ours in the past eight to 12 weeks. They've also had a baby, and they also have grandbabies. And Rachel Ostabar is putting pictures of her grandbaby, and, and uh, Patty is doing pictures of her baby. And, of course, every time Courtney posts something, I tag it and share it and send it and send it to the world. But what is, so, what, is, what is so crazy, being a father is one of the most incredible, phenomenal occurrences that you will ever have, that God trusted you and blessed you, blessed you with life in the womb. And the, everybody says, well, you know what? You didn't have a whole lot to do with them being here. Yeah, but I had something to do with it. And it would have never been done had it not been for me, unless we did the test tube thing, I guess, that we could, can't, I guess we can't say that anymore. But I love, I love being a father. I love being a dad. My kids bring me great joy. And now that we have Skylar, I am a grandfather that goes by Sir Papa. It's like, it's, like, it's like she's a toy. It's like she's a weed eater or a chainsaw, and I play with her until I'm done. And then if I smell something funny, or she, I hand her to her mom and say, I believe she has a dirty diaper. See, when you graduate into grandfatherhood, you don't have to change any more diapers. That's just the rules that I make. Those are for Meemaw and for Angel and Court and change the diaper. She got a diaper. I'm going to pass her off. So not only am I a father, I am a grandfather. And then, I, then, I, then I, most of you know that I have eight rentals. I am a landlord. And all the stress and all the drama and all the stuff that goes with being a landlord, it's crazy. Then I think about being an employer. There's been times we've had several on staff, and I was their boss. And that's, that's a lot of pressure, being the boss. And then I am a pastor, and I'm committed to one flock, and I've sowed 25 years of my life into this flock and into this ministry. And I think of all of, the, all of the stress, all the challenges of being a pastor. There's been so many great, great, wonderful times, but we did 20-some-odd years ago, we did have a woman murdered in our parking lot. One of our church members, Dr. General Hammond, was horrifically stabbed to death. And I looked through, we've lost some precious babies, some precious children. And I look back at those windows and see the, 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 the emotions that you need to match when someone's going through a storm. And probably being a pastor is probably the roughest thing that I've, I've ever done. Then I think about being a mentor. I have people that actually call me and ask me, what, what should I do about this? Or what would I do that? Or can I teach them something? And then there are, there are ministries under our ministry, which places me in the, post, uh, the apostolic role. And I got to thinking, no wonder I'm so stressed out. No wonder it's so complicated. I got all these plates I'm spinning. Hello. 
I got all these, I got all these titles, all these hats that I'm wearing. And sometimes I don't know whether to wear the apostle hat or the pastor hat or just a bad guy hat. Just a bad guy. I've always wanted to tell people, you know what? I told you this would happen. I told you this would happen. You should have listened. I never say that, but I think it a lot. So when I think about when I think about complicated and I think about complex, I think about the orchid and I think about the oak tree. Most of you that have been to my home, two things you will notice. There's a tree right in the middle of my street. That's an oak tree. And you will notice that I have a garden. This morning, I had 22 different perennials in full bloom. This morning, I counted them while I was drinking my coffee up top. And you know, there, there are, I do not purchase annuals. That just something, I, don't, I don't believe in investing in something that's not going to come back the next year. So I, I plant perennials. I, I transplant them. Robbie's brought me stuff. Susan's brought me stuff. I plant every seed I get. I plant every bulb. That's just something that I like to do. But I have had the worst possible luck with an orchid because it won't submit to things that are normal and healthy. First of all, they're buried in just very little root, rocky and, 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 and damp, and, and, and they, they wilt. I, I went to get them yesterday at Lowe's and left them in the car for just 30 minutes, and already they were getting a little wilted. But when you look at the orchid, they tell you the orchid, you can't place it in front of a, you can't place it in front of a fan or a vent. It hates direct sunlight, and it doesn't like for its weed, its leaves to be wet. If you're supposed to, you're supposed to water the plant with a spray bottle, but dare you get any water on the leaf? You got to dry the leaf off, and then you put you put the orchid where there's a breeze coming from the outside. It can't be too much of a breeze, and you can't let it be exposed too long in that. And, in that, and, and you're turning the pot and getting this the wind, and, and you're turning the pot again, and then and then you watch it, and it, a healthy orchid will last about a week, and and then and then it's dead. And then you got this stick growing out of this pot, and the only thing of value is the pot. You will notice they don't put orchids in the in the one gallon black container. They put it in a nice pot. I guess that's your that's your consolation prize for trying to give somebody. And and you know what? I I, I wanted so bad yesterday. There was some gorgeous hydrangeas. I said, hydrant. Yeah, they were gorgeous and they were cheaper. And I said, man, this, if, I, if I was the mother getting a gift, this is the gift I would want to get. But, but, but it, it didn't go with my message. It didn't go with, you know, the orchids are soft and, and special like mom and all that. So there's a way to paraphrase and to justify spending $50 instead of $30. But it's like, it's like they're there. And then it's like they're not. And then it's like if you wait next year, they will come back. I have never had one ever come back ever in the history of the world. An orchid is a complicated specimen of frustration. But then you think about, then you th- oh, and you can't, you can't water them with water. You've got to give them an ice cube because they don't like a constant drenching. They like slowly to be stabilized and, so, and slowly to be hydrated. I've been wanting to use that word for hydrated. They, they, don't, they don't like you to water them, but you put an ice cube down there. And you know what I have learned, Chris? It doesn't matter what you do. They're going to die, and they ain't going to come back. They ain't, they ain't going to come back. I, I'm sorry. And if you get it to come back, we will be impressed. I, I promise you. So, so you can be complicated like an orchid, or you can be complex like an oak tree. If you've been to my home, you will know that there's a tree, probably about 14 inches in diameter, right in the middle of our road. As far as I know, it's the only street in Cleveland that has a tree in the middle of the road. 
And uh, several years ago, the tree that was there, the, it was actually an ash tree because I live on Ash Drive. It was an ash tree. Uh, the bees somehow began to build. What, whatever they did, the tree died. And so they, they took the beehive and they cut the tree and they took the tree out. And then, and then in the fall of the year, they came and they, they planted an oak tree. Well, several years ago, we used to have the youth over our house all the time for different stuff. And we had a couple of kids, youth group, they had this big four-wheel drive truck. And they really didn't know how to drive very well, but they just drove. And when they drove on our street, they ran over my oak tree, ran over it, ran over it, broke it, dead, laid there, was gone. And uh, one of the neighbors got the broken, it wasn't, and it wasn't really very tall, but, my, but the neighbor got the, got the trunk and threw it wherever, wherever dead trunks go. And then there was a little tiny sprig, there was a little tiny sprig that started growing, like a, like a shoot, like, a, like an offset, like a, and, it, and it starts growing. And so I get to watching it, and I get to watching it. Okay, that was 12 years ago. Today, you cannot put your arms around that tree, and it's about 30 foot tall. And you know what? I never watered it. I never fertilized it. I never petted it. I never cooed it. I never, and, and, and what I have learned is that the roots of an oak tree are bigger, deeper, and more defined than the actual limb. So what you see, the limbs, all that there, there's that much or more. Sometimes the roots can be 10 foot longer than a branch. And I think about that oak tree being like the tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit, her fruit. See, there's seasons, and some of you get frustrated because it might not be your season. Jesus went to pick a, pick a fig. There wasn't a fig on the tree, and he cursed it. And I think a lot of us sometimes we feel like that, that we are cursed because we miss that. And then, and then we make things so complicated. I'm, I'm praying with someone right now that doesn't believe that he can go to heaven, believe that the stuff that he's done in the past, and there's people in my life, they feel like they've been too bad in the past. And, and you, you, you got to realize that you, you can feel what you feel can change the fact who God is and what God can do. He can renew you. He can restore you. He can forgive you. He can redeem you. God's got all kinds of options. I've learned in both these passages, we only have one option, and that is trust. God, it's scary out there. Scary things are happening. The door is open for me to go to Tulsa for a week or two, and the guy that's going, taking me with him to be a part of something he's doing there, I called him yesterday, and I said, have you seen the tornadoes going on in Oklahoma? Are you sure you, hello, are you, I don't want to be like a tree that's plucked up like a tornado and thrown to the wind. So, but, but that's just, life is complicated. Some say, life is com- complicated, but you don't have to be. You don't have to be. The second thing that I want to bring to your attention is you're not perfect, yet you're poked. That word poise is a very interesting word. I believe, do we have a scripture for that? Did I give you guys a scripture for that? Proverbs 31, 11 and 12. There are many that operate in a mode that's called perfection. And everything they do has to be perfect. Everything they do, it has to be in place. It has to be a certain way. And nine times out of ten, a perfectionist will not get involved in the task because they don't think they can make it good enough. Maybe you've had a boss that was a perfectionist. Maybe you've had a boyfriend or a girlfriend that was a perfectionist. But most perfectionists are so down on themselves and therefore they're down on others not realizing 
you don't have to be perfect. Our, our home every Wednesday night when we leave here is American Idol. We love American Idol. We vote for American Idol. I got a thing on my phone that said that we voted too many votes. I didn't know who did that. So got, we voted too many votes. But we, we would like to see Clark win. That's just, that's just the way we love him. He loves the Lord. He's got a great attitude. But, but the last time that he sang, Keith told Clark, he said, you get it right every time. You're, you're, you're perfect. Your pitch, your presentation is perfect. You need to just kind of have a flaw and show us your, your natural side or show us that because you're so perfect. We, it's a hard, it's, we have a hard time believing you're the, you're the real deal. And I'm thinking, you want him to be flawed when this is American Idol? You want to be the very best that he, that he wants to be? But some of us, and, we, and none of us are like that, but some of us hang around people that are perfectionists. And what is so crazy, a perfectionist will gripe about every single thing he or she is never good enough unless they do it. Get quite in this place. But when, when I think of poise, I think of Proverbs 31, and we're not talking about the Proverbs 31 woman. That's not what we're doing today. But I wanted to bring a couple of scriptures. Do we have those in Proverbs? Seems like there was a uh, Proverbs 31, 11, and 12. Read that with me. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. I love that. I love that I don't have to be perfect, but I can be poised. You say, well, what is poised? What poised is listening to your wife and on your way to Walmart, taking off the holy pants that you have on, taking off the tank top that you have on, and, and take off the tacky work boots and dress up a little bit. Pastor Rhonda helps me. We dress for success. I see some of you guys are looking over there and say, you're not the only one that has that challenge. You're not the only one. You know, when I'm out working, I'm out doing stuff, I'm here around me. I'm, I'm mowing a widow's estate this week. I had to mow it three times because it was so high. I got out there. No one was there. Took my shirt off. I said, man, I'll just, I'll just get a little sun here. Then I came to the church and started mowing. I started taking my shirt off. I had like three visitors pull up to the church while I'm, I'm mowing, and they ruin it for me. I can't, I can't take my shirt off. But I, I'm just the kind of guy, man, if I've got camouflage on, I'm going to run to Logan's. I'm going to run. And that, that doesn't score points. That was good. You know, there's a, there's, there's a way, there's a way, because you never know who you're going to run into when you got your, when you got your, but you I was somewhere yesterday, and I saw a guy. Oh, yeah, I went, to, I went to get a cup of coffee at Exxon. I saw a guy. It's like 11 or 12 o'clock today. I saw a guy in his pajamas, in his pajamas. He never. He just went straight from the bed to the pajamas. And you know what? That's, that's, all, that's all well and good. But try to focus not on being perfect, but being the best you could be, wearing the best you have, doing the best you can. And we'll go on to point number three. Life brings chaos. But you can keep your calm. Life brings chaos, but you can keep your calm. As a, as a dad, I've always laughed and shared that the bumper sticker that says, hire a teenager while they still know it all. And I remember in some of the confrontations and some of the, 
war battles and some of the, just some of the storms that, that I've had with my kids when they were like three, four, five years old, I'm carrying on a full-blown conversation with a three-year-old. Hello, I'm arguing with the five-year-old. I'm, I'm telling a 10-year-old why she should clean her room and why she should take the trash out. And it's, it's like we're arguing back and forth. And I'm going, wait a minute, I'm, I'm the, she's only three, she's only four. I'm the adult here. I'm the one that needs to try to keep things calm. Do I have a friend in the house? And, and, then, it's, and then it's like I realize that in, in, the, in the life that you live, there are going to be chaotic moments when something crazy is going to happen. I remember I was with a bunch of kids, and we were doing something, and the door, the truck door was shut, and the, and the little baby had his, had his hand in the door and slammed the door in her hand, and everybody starts freaking. They, just start, they start freaking, Chris, and I very calmly say, open the door. Just open the door. Open the door. You know, you don't have, if it gets chaotic, you don't have to go crazy. Hello. You don't, you don't, I, I saw a book in my library today, and I, I don't use the word, I don't like the word, but I think it was by Joyce Meyer that says, uh, living successfully with screwed up people. And, you know, I, I don't like that, ter- that's just not a terminology that I use, but I will use the terminology, borderline personality. And it is scary. I know none of you can relate, and whatever you do, don't look left, don't look, don't look right. But there are people there are people in our life, they're crazy. They're cra- I don't know any other way to tell, but they're crazy. And they operate in craziness. And you're checking out they're crazy and realizing they really are crazy. And what is scary, they got a driver's license. They got a job. They got a, they're out there. They're everywhere. And there are crazy people doing crazy things. You watch the news, you watch the, the local media, watch and see people. Uh, one woman called 911 because McDonald's wouldn't give her extra pickles. I'm not exaggerating. That is a true story. And I'm thinking somebody needs to choke you and put the slap on you. So life can be crazy, but you don't have to be crazy with it. You can remain, you can remain normal and you can remain healthy. There is a book, and I'll, I'll talk more about this in another point, but point number three, there is a book entitled Stop Walking on Eggshells. And that book talks about borderline personalities. And now we're realizing that there is the, there is the clinically depressed. Hello. Then we've got the, we've got the manic depressant. And now we've got borderline personalities. And I'm like, oh, no, it was bad enough hanging with the, with the personality and hanging with the, 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 the disorder. Now you're telling me there's a whole new group of people out there that i got to learn how to deal with. And borderline personality people, let me go on to my next, borderline personality people, they love creating confusion and chaos and drama, which is my, which is my fourth point. My fourth point, Philippians 4, 4, 5, 6, and 7, it'll, it'll tell us about how to control our emotions and take authority over our emotions. Point number four, you ready? High st- stress is no excuse for high drama. High stress is no excuse for high drama. 
we have a family. They don't go to our church. They're not a part of this, not a part of this church. They're a part of my life. And uh, they've had a very, very rocky, rocky uh, marriage. It's just been a real, just the, the 15 years that I've known them, it's been a very, very rocky, frustrating marriage. And uh, two times they had gone to the lawyer. Both of them had hired uh, lawyers and spent a significant amount of money on divorce, and there was always a door open. We went through the door, and we encouraged them to cancel the divorce and work on the marriage, and they have. But now they're at a place where they're, they're divorced. They're, they're divorced, and both of them already have a significant other in their life. But when I think about the, the, think about the drama that I walk those people through, when I think about, when I think about all, the, all of the I, – I need to be careful that I don't say too much because I don't want any of you to figure out who it is. TNT does drama, and they do it well. A movie or a book does drama. But do you know in the drama you always know what the outcome's going to be? Whether it's Blue Bloods or Once Upon a Time or, or Madam Secretary. Hello, you know, first of all, the main dude or chick is not going to get killed. They will live another day. And within that hour, that chat, every once in a while, you've got NCIS will do it to be continued, very rare, blue blood to be. But, but usually, for the most part, that drama is going to count down, take off, circle, and then land within an hour. So drama is okay if it's just for an hour. The challenge is, if you're not careful, you will get caught up in other people's drama to a point where you're not going to know how to survive. Can anybody relate? It's like, it's like, it's like, I let this person in my life. I'm trying to help them. They're not listening. Then I have to say, but man, they're out there. They're out there. And and that's all I have to say about that. My fifth, oh, I did put something here about road rage, but I've, since I've not quite been delivered from that, I don't want to preach on something that I'm still involved in. But it is, it is, it is amazing. I just, I, I went to Kentucky, most of you know, and ministered there at uh, Evangel Temple. And uh, out, out on the road in the fast lane, I'm running 78 miles an hour. There are three or four cars in front of me that are running 70 or 78 miles an hour. We're like a convoy. I can't pass. I can't get around. Some idiot comes up, and I promise you, there was not a foot between their front bumper and, and, and my rear bumper. And had I not been driving Brother Keith's car, I would have been tempted to lock them up and slam on the brakes. Okay, so we drive. This probably goes on. They, they obviously get in front of me, and they're going down the road. Then I pull over to McDonald's to get a snack, and when I get off the freeway coming down the ramp, guess who was sitting at the red light waiting for it to turn green? The idiot that almost killed us tailgating. I mean, it's crazy. It's cra- I mean, it's a crazy world out there. I mean, drivers and things are crazy. And then you see people doing the boldest stupidest things and you pull up and you look over because you wonder what kind of person and usually it's about a 90 year old woman that doesn't even have a clue there's anybody out there can anybody relate and it's like you, and you got to pray the hedge of protection the blood road because they're going to kill they're going to kill somebody and that's all i have to say about road rage my last point my closing point and i will be done before noon is that you need to be fortified for the fight. Fortified came into our life a few 
weeks ago as the doctors in uh, checking Skyler felt like she was not gaining the weight she needed to gain. And they actually gave us a window and a certain amount that she needed to weigh. And then the doctor prescribed fortified milk. So if you're nursing and the baby's not getting the weight it should, then they supplement your diet with something that helps your baby gain weight. And it's so wild, she'll live to be the age of 13, then she'll start trying to lose weight. How, car- how crazy is that? But when, you, when, I, when, I think of, when I think about being fortified, I think about being not just strong, not just tough, not just a supplement in people's life, but there's got to come, let me say this very carefully, there's got to come a place in your life where you're no longer the needy, you're meeting the need. And Lord, I wouldn't want this to get back to anybody, but I have been in churches that are pastored by healing healing pastors, healing ministries, and things of that nature. And when they give an altar call, over half their congregation comes forward to be prayed for. And it, they, for the kids that do it every, every week, they are the, they, and you know, the altars are always open. It's a place where God and man meet in victory. Is, de- is declared. But as you have graduated from elementary, middle, high, college, there should be some maturity that is developed in your life. And now we can, we can do lessons for you. We can give you scripture to memorize. We can hand feed you and we can, we can put all this stuff in, in your life. But there's, there's got to come a place in your life where you start growing and you start maturing and you need to start kicking butt. Hello, and take back what the enemy has tried to steal. And, and you do that by building yourself up in the Lord. You know, stability, when you talk about the, 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 the roots of a tree, and we mentioned them a while ago, and I will conclude with this. I worked uh, very, at a very young age. I worked as a man. I got paid as a man. In 1970, I worked for a guy that uh, he cut down trees. That's what he did. Cut them down, hauled them off to the dump dug out the stump, filled the stump with dirt. And we did that every day of the summer and every single weekend of, of the winter. I worked for him, and he paid me good money. I made good money, and I bought my clothes for school and usually always had enough money to do the things that was, go- was going on. And I'll, I'll never forget, and I've shared this story with many of you, I'll never forget the day that we were rushing to try to get done, and we dug up a tree, and we dug the roots out, and we dug all around the roots, and we hacked and we whacked. Pastor Todd, we hacked all day long, literally. Can't use a chainsaw in the root because of the dirt. So it's all done by hand. We we cut this root, and Becky. We would we would dig that root up. Then we would go here and we dig that root up, and then it looked like I promise you there was more roots than there was tree. And we got this. We got it's like Grand Canyon Junior in this guy's backyard, and we're doing all this digging. So what he would do is he would take a logging chain, and he tied the logging chain around the tree, and he lashed it, and then I would back up the truck to the, to the logging chain, and he would tie the logging chain around the bumper, and then I'd get like about a two- or three-foot window, and then I, I would put it in low gear, and I'd have a three-foot of slack, and then I would go, and, and I would try to pull that tree up by its roots. And, and nine times out of ten, 
it didn't work. That those roots were so deep, and they were it was just it was just a frustrating hack and whack all day long. Not once, not twice, but on several occasions would I get maybe like a six foot row, Linda, and I would whack that, and I would whack that, that come against that tree, and the chain would break and fly all the way over the cab of the truck and break the windshield. I broke two windshields because because my boss told me said hit it, hit it, and hit it hard. And and what I learned that there is there is roots that you should be developing. There is stability that you should be operating in. You shouldn't always have the same problem, the same. You should graduate from some of these things and go on to other things that God has for you. And that's all that, that's all that I had to share with you this morning. Uh, Philippians 3 and 14, the Apostle Paul said, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are before. And uh, yesterday was such a yesterday was such a val a valuable lesson on uh, teamwork. Um, you know, I mowed the church and I mowed the I mowed some other properties, and uh, we had the baby. Uh, we had the baby all day long till about ten o'clock last night, and so I asked Pastor Rhonda, "What what can I do?" And she said, "It'd be nice if you gave me a couple hours in the morning, and gave me a couple hours in the evening." So we planned it. We planned the strategy of of of. I came in at 10.30, I stayed with the baby for an hour, then I came in at 5 o'clock and stayed with the baby for an hour. And you know what? Um, raising a, a kid in the generation that we live today is a scary thing. And something I, I have learned about Skylar, she's never going to cry and just lay there and someone not pick her up. That ain't going to happen. I don't know that she will ever learn how to walk. I'm very seriously concerned about her maturity and all of that stuff. But what was so funny yesterday, it was like, it's like I can talk to her, I can love on her, make faces, saying, but then all of a sudden she gets to this place where nothing, nothing. I can make faces, I can, I can. I can swing her around. I can bounce her. I can do this. I can put her. I can set her up. I can put her in front of the TV. I can put her. And, and it's like she ain't going to chill out. She is not going to get a grip. Then Pastor Rhonda, she's heard this about. Then she comes and takes the baby. And then she changes diaper. And she sings, shake your booty. Shake your. And, and Skyler look, looks around. And she stops crying. And then you put that plug thing in her mouth. And it's like, it's like, it's like a joint effort. Had they, you know what, if you've never tried to keep a baby all day long by yourself, you need to because your opinion of your wife and mother is going to accelerate beyond Proverbs 31 woman. But it was, it was something that, that I learned. And already, already early in life, we're singing to her the word of the Lord. We're singing to her the things of God. We're keeping her in an environment that's safe and is protective. And that's exactly where God has us. That's exactly where God has us. I've said this a thousand times. God can solve your challenge a thousand different ways. You have only one. That's trust. That's your, that's your options. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not into thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Shall we pray? We thank you for the call.